So if you were here last Sunday morning, you, um, Tim got up and, and closed Kevin's message, and it was excellent. He, he had an apple and talked about the perspectives, and it was just, it was um, apples of gold and pictures of silver or whatever. It was words well spoken. And so I brought, um, I brought an apple along because I want to kind of feed off that a little bit this morning. And so um, I was wondering, Adrian, would you like to have a bite of my apple? It's a good apple. You, you, what is it then? No, it is not. Look, that apple that he had last Sunday was green, just about as green as this was. It for sure is an apple. You don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> Nate, Nate's my friend. He'll, he'll tell me the truth. Nate, would you like one of my apples? I actually have two, so you can have this one. I'll eat the other one. Yeah. You want some? You don't like my apple? <laughs> I don't have an apple. <sighs> Therefore, I think a time of examination is good. Right? Because maybe we don't have what we think we have. A time of examination. How am I doing in the faith? Is my faith strong or weak? Is my life showing the fruit of the Spirit? And am I winning the battle with the flesh? <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you another little story that happened last week, and I was so embarrassed. But last Sunday, for devotions, I had shared about Paul getting bit by the snake, right? And I kind of encouraged you that, you know, these little things that come along, that we need to just live out what God wants us to do. Like, God will bring things in our lives, and we should just, you know, even though, you know, it was a snake bite, and Paul just shook it off into the fire and kept going, and, and God took care of him. Meanwhile... Earlier in the week, I had gotten called out on a furnace change out. Well, they wanted me to look at it. It was this kind of a bad situation. And this lady is living there in the house in downtown Goshen. And the lady, her sister is the one that called me, said that, you know, this is just really a bad house. It needs to be torn down, but my sister won't leave, and so here we are. So the furnace doesn't work. Can you go in and see if, it'll, if it can be fixed or if we need to replace it. So I went in there and opened the door, and the stench hit you at the door. It was awful. And I've been in houses like that before. Um, I was in a house one time that had cast iron frying pans on the stove that were full of mouse turds. And I was in a house that there was cat poop around on the kitchen cupboards, and the linoleum, like, you know how linoleum has kind of the hard surface? That was all gone. It was just kind of a sticky mat and it reeked, and uh, anyways, this house that I went into actually had a clean floor, but it it stunk really bad, and it was about all you could do to get from the front door to the basement, you know, get down the steps, and it was better down there, and I was looking at this. I went down there, and it the furnace was shot. It was junk, and I went out, called the lady, said, you know, it, it needs a new furnace, and Anyways, there's other things that are more important, and so she decided that, well, we're going to get these other issues fixed, and then we'll give you a call next year, and 
I was thinking, I don't want to put this furnace in. And I'd made up my mind, I'm not going to. Like, it's, it's not worth it. You go into a house like that, and you could take anything home with you. Bed bugs, cockroaches, disease. Like, I, I don't know. It's nasty. <laughs> and then I found out that Roman has worked in that house. And I talked to him after church on Sunday, and I said, man, I just, I just don't think I'm going to do it. Like, and he told me, well, you know, he just, those people need help too, and, you know, they, yeah. So he, he tries to, his best to help those people. <clears throat> and I don't know if you thought about it at the time, Roman, but it all of a sudden dawned on me, like, that was exactly what I was talking about, and I was not doing it. I messed up on that one. When I look in the mirror, I see somebody that makes mistakes, somebody that needs wisdom. I fail at times, and I have real struggles inside. And when I I look at you, I see the same thing, people that have struggles and, and need help, people that make mistakes. Turn in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 1. And I'm going to be in Revelations most of the time here today. Revelations chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. So John fell down before the Lord as dead when he saw him when he saw the fierceness and the glory of God. How will it be for you when you stand before God? Will you be afraid? Let's go over to Revelations chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look at, 
was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Are you ready to stand? before that God in that throne room. Ever since the fall of man, children are born with wicked desires. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you and I are no different. A sin, a singular sin, will keep you out of heaven. Even a small sin, like eating a forbidden fruit. All of us have sin. And I would say by the time we're old enough to be accountable for what we do, we already have a long list of reasons that are going to keep us out of heaven. And God says there are two choices. We have the option of heaven or hell. And for me, the choice is clear. I don't want to burn in hell. Heaven sounds wonderful to me, but what am I going to do with my sin? What will you do with, with your sin. How will you make it to heaven? And some of this can be sense, some of us can be sensitive to this and can obsess over sin. We can be terrified. When we sin, we panic. We imagine Jesus coming back right now, his stern, I never knew you. And we can already feel the heat. So what are you going to do? We humans are bound in time. We tend to think that time helps these things. So as long as we didn't do anything bad recently, we're probably okay. God is probably as forgetful as I am. So if I haven't sinned yet this year, or not that I can remember, probably fine. Or nobody's perfect. God will probably just take the top 10%. I'm definitely in the top 10%, and so are you, right? The wages of sin is death. The payment that you receive for the sin that you've done in your life is death. And if we measure sin by God's standards, nobody makes it to heaven. None of us. And if it wouldn't have been that God reached out to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we would all be doomed. But he promised a redeemer, somebody to redeem us. And he set up sacrifice as a way to cover sin. And as 
time went on, the people rebelled. And we have story after story of God reaching out and rescuing his people. And then God sent the Redeemer that he had promised. Jesus came, died on the cross, put to death by the very ones that he came to save. Jesus, who did no sin, to pay the, died to pay the price for my sin. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for my sin. <coughs> Jesus took my place. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, For God hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So he was beaten. The blood flowed. A crown of thorns pressed into his head. Nails driven through his hands, hung on a cross to suffer an agonizing death. Taking our punishment. It should have been us. And then God raised him from the dead, and he returned to heaven. And now God gives this mercy to us. It's an open invitation for us to put our faith in him and experience the forgiveness of sin. It's free, and it's glorious. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. We are washed. We are justified and sanctified. And Jesus is the only way that we can experience this, this forgiveness, this mercy, this grace. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Jesus calls us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This is the gospel that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that through faith in him, we can be forgiven. Go to Revelations chapter 21. Chapter 21, starting at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that 
sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That is where we're headed, but we're not there yet. We've experienced God's mercy and grace, but we still haven't completely changed. We still have our sin nature. We still suffer. But we've been given a down payment. The Holy Spirit is with us. And by the Holy Spirit, we have conviction of sin. He is our comforter, our guide, and our teacher. With the Holy Spirit, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can live above sin. We can defeat sin. But we still battle the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are at odds. This is where we're going, but in this room is where we're here now. Right? At a time of examination, it can be so easy because of our sinful nature to begin trusting in ourselves again. It's easy to say, well, you know, yes, God forgave my sin of the past, but now it rests on me that I have to perform, that I have to do everything right. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we, ha- we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So this talks about the glory of God's grace, and that by grace we are saved through faith in him, and that it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. But that's what we can kind of fall into sometimes. We are Christ's workmanship, and we're created to do good works, and it's so easy to soon begin to trust in them for our salvation. Now, our works are important. Our works prove our faith. Our works glorify God. But our works don't save us. The Galatian church started out in faith, but they soon began saying that, yes, you need to be saved by faith, but you also need to do some of these other things in the law. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to observe these feast days, etc. And Paul rebuked them. Galatians 5 verse 4 says, Christ has become no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. If we are in our minds justified by anything that we do, we are fallen from grace. Now, if we go back to Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read a little bit further. 
and I read the first part of chapter, or uh, verse 5. <clears throat> so I'll start at verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murders, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It can seem like this is proving our works faith. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, but and this whole list, those will have their part in the lake of fire. And we have this battle going on within us, and it can be high stakes, high stress, right? We must overcome. We cannot sin. And I want to read a couple more, um, seven more verses here. Revelation, all in Revelations. Chapter 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Chapter 2, verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Verse 26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Chapter 3, verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 12, Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Verse 21, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. You must overcome. You must overcome. If you want to be in heaven, you must overcome. But how do we do that? Let's go to chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12. <clears throat> Starting at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. You want to be an overcomer? You want to overcome? It's by the blood of the Lamb. No other way. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. 
because we only have received the down payment so far of our redemption, we still are in our flesh, we still struggle with sin, we still need the grace of our God. We have not yet stood before him on judgment day. We needed his forgiveness and grace when we first came to the Lord in repentance. And we need it just as much today as we did back then. And we're going to need it tomorrow. In, in a time of examination, in thinking about the coming judgment, it's important we don't fall from grace into another gospel. And scripture talks about our precious faith and how God purifies it. It's a precious thing. Do you trust in your works to save you? And think about it. If, if you could somehow get to the point of living above sin, both on the outside. Now, the outside things are easy. You can quit whatever. You can quit speeding. You can quit uh, yelling at your children. You can quit cursing, you know, whatever. You, the outer things are easy. The things on the inside are the struggle. <clears throat> if we could, if you could somehow get to the point of living above the lust in your heart, the anger, the pride, if you could live pure from those things, would that be enough to save you? This is what God told Job in Job chapter 40, verses 9 through 14. Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. So there you go. If you can do that, the Lord says, then your right hand can save you. Then your works will be good enough. <clears throat> Even our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And if you think about it, I, I had to think back of, of Solomon. If anybody decked themselves with majesty and excellency and arrayed themselves with glory and beauty, it was Solomon. But Jesus said that, what was it, a lily of the field? And Solomon was not arrayed like that in comparison. <clears throat> now, works are important. We're not supposed to stay the servants of sin. And, and if you think about that, why would you... This is something that separated you from God, and God's Son died so that you could have redemption. Are you going to go back and do that? Of course not. God doesn't want us to live as servants to sin. We're not to continue in sin. God wants us to live, live free from sin, <clears throat> but it's not so that we no longer need his grace. That's not the point. <clears throat> we still need his grace today for the things in the past. Even if we could get to where we're perfect today, the things in the past would still need his grace. Works prove our faith. Faith without works is dead. So in other words... If you have no works 
to prove your faith, then your faith probably doesn't exist. Like if there's no evidence. You're going to say you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, but you have no fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's probably not true. If you say you have faith, but there's no evidence, it's probably not true. So those works prove our faith. They put our faith on display, but they don't save us. I would like to ask you this morning, in a time of examination, where is your faith? What are you trusting in for salvation this morning? How do you have peace with God? Are you trusting in your ability to live righteously? Or are you completely resting in the work that Jesus did on the cross? Confident in his grace alone. Have you left the faith and are turned to another gospel? Which isn't another gospel because Jesus is the only way. I would love to know what, you, what you're hearing me say this morning. Sometimes you say something and people take it completely wrong. And I don't want you to think this morning that I'm saying that works are not important. Because they are. They are, are very important. But they're not going to save you. Are we going to be like the pigs that return to the mire after being washed? Or like the dog that returns to his vomit? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And for some, it's easy. To put aside sin, to put on good works, it's an easy thing. But for some, it's a battle, and it's a fight, and we, we try and we try. All, all of us need God's grace. The one that it came easy to, the one that it came hard to. All of us need God's grace. And that's what communion is all about is about remembering that Jesus died. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. It's to remember. Celebrating the forgiveness of sin and grace so that we never forget, so that we never get caught up in another gospel. And to close my message, I would like to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just thank you so much this morning for your work on the cross, for forgiving us of our sins, and for making a way that we can be saved. Thank you for your promise in the future of, of heaven and the glory that will be there. And thank you, Lord, that in our, in our flesh and our, just in our struggles that we've been washed and we can stand before you, not in fear, but in love, and that you said you would be to us like a father and that we would be your sons before you. What, a, what an awesome promise. Thank you for that. I just pray, Lord, for each one here. Help us to trust in your grace for our salvation. Help us to work hard, Lord, to put off wickedness and sin so we can live pure before you and be a light to the others around us pointing towards your grace. 
your name I pray, amen.